Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Uh, I have a lot of stuff <laughs> to share today. I'm not sure it is in any coherent order, but uh, you know, I'm doing what I do here, which is to interpret the world and current events through the lens of evolution, the evolution of consciousness and culture. And that's basic to integral theory. And at the same time, I'm using current events to help understand integral theory itself. So I want to start by recapping a conversation with a dear friend. She's interested in integral. She's learning integral. We got on the topic of, you know, what's up with these Trump people? This is the topic of the day. And uh, my explanation is that there are lots of reasons that people are for Trump, and you can be for Trump at any of the later stages of development uh, for different reasons. But there's the Trump people, the ones who wear his shirts, the, one who, the ones who were at the Trump store when I was in South Dakota, and they go to his rallies when they can, and they just love the guy. I mean, he's their guy. Uh, it's not about their money. In fact, you know, the liberals would argue that their economic interests are not aligned with Trump. And it's not because of anything else. It's just he's their guy. If you're a liberal and you see people who see the world completely different than you do, then the only explanation is that they don't get it. You know, that some version of they don't get it. They're stupid. They're lazy. They're ignorant. They're bad. They have bad intentions, they're brainwashed, they're hypnotized, and, and that's where you are. And I have lots and lots of friends who are there with these Trump people. And my argument is, no, there's another explanation that's developmental, that people are at different stages of development, and those are different worlds. They see the world differently, they see different evidence, they process it differently, they come to different conclusions, their hearts resonate to different things, their bodies, you know, their subtle bodies. And so I was talking about this, and I used the explanation that some people are at the concrete operational stage of development. And this was really helpful to her. Sort of, she says, like, is that really a thing? And it is. It's Piaget, and he mapped out the stages of development that children go through. But what we know from an integral perspective is that some people stop developing at various stages, and some people continue, and we don't really know why that is. I always love Ken Wilber's explanation. He would say, karma could account for that. That is, we're all here to do different things in this lifetime. And we're, we all have to go through these stages and we're all doing it at our own speed. And there's a wonderful relaxation that comes from that, that says people get to be who they are and they get to be loved for who they are, where they are. And, uh, and that's a feature of integral consciousness, which I'm just gonna lay it out real briefly. If we look at Piaget's stages, it starts with sensory motor. And that is the infant. You're just embedded in the world and you can use your motor skills and everything's you and you're everything. 
And then we move to pre-operational, which is, you know, two-ish, three-ish maybe. And you get the sense of self, but you really aren't that differentiated from the whole world. But now you see the world as an extension of you, you know, so everything's about you. And people at this age can't talk about anything that isn't about themselves. And we have a president who, you know, in important lines of development is that there is this self-sense. It's just really the world is an extension of self. And so that's where some people, you know, that's as far as they get in that way. That doesn't mean that they can't do things at higher stages in different ways, but that's where their heart is. That's the self-sense. So we have so that we have the sensory motor, pre-operational, egocentric, and then we have the concrete operational. And this is the third in Piaget's theory of cognitive development. And it lasts around seven to 11 years of age. But again, some people, that's where their heart stays. It marks the beginning of logical or operational thought. The child is now mature enough to use logical thought or operations, that is rules, but can only apply logic to physical objects, hence concrete operational, and are not typically able to think abstract, abstractly or hypothetically. All right? So they could be very sophisticated at people at concrete operational, and they can build companies, they can operate in the world, and we know these people, but their heart is just moving, they're, they're moving things around. And they're not interested in hypotheticals. They're not interested in theories. They're not interested in abstract thought that much. And these are Trump's people. I mean, they're just naturally Trump's people because he's at that stage. I would argue that many lines, he's at the pre-operational stage, the egocentric stage. So, you know, my friend was like, that's really cool. And that helps me to see that people are who they are and it's not they're because they're defective versions of me which is what you think when you don't have a developmental view i mean what else do you have so here's an example uh she she asked me to keep an eye out for things that i saw that would um you know be examples so here's an example of a meme that goes around and this is a meme going around conservative circles in facebook so you see there's a woman wearing a mask in the top photo and the caption is they want you to keep doing this this is one of these masks that we wear for the pandemic and then the bottom photo is a woman in a hijab with her face covered except for her eyes the statement continues they want you to keep doing this wear the masks because eventually they are going to try and make you do this and that is become a muslim so that's an example of concrete operational thinking you know, it's just the thing itself, there's more of the thing itself. And so this is, you know, what makes sense to them. Drives liberals crazy because we see all kinds of differences here between wearing that mask and wearing the other mask and be, you know, cultures and time and all of that sort of thing, but not so interesting to the concrete operational thinker. So to just continue the lay of the land here, uh, the next stage is formal operational, and this is when the child, uh, and oftentimes this is where we start, in fact, they even say here in um, 
uh, I forget where I got this, sorry, it's a, from one of the Piaget sites. The formal operational stage begins at approximate age 12 and lasts into adulthood. As adolescents enter this stage, they gain the ability to think in an abstract manner by manipulating ideas in their head without any dependence on concrete manipulation. That is, they don't need blocks, they don't need maps, they just need the ideas themselves and they can work with them and that's fun and they get it and that's where they're at in their immortal development. I think, actually, that's my opinion, is that, you know, this is a stop on the line of the universe per perfecting itself. That's what we're doing here. And, uh, and this is where we're at. This is the bite of the apple we're taking this time. And so a lot of people are at formal operational. And that's where actually a lot of uh, people, when we get into modern and even postmodern stages of development, they're operating with abstract ideas. And a lot of the culture war is about the fight of abstract ideas. And then there is the next stage, which is called vision logic. And vision logic is, I'm not sure whether this is a Piaget term or whether this came after Piaget. And I know, but I know Ken Wilbur really uh, uses this term and may even have thought of it. I don't know. I get lost in some of the details these days. But at any rate, vision logic is what comes out of formal operational, which is, comes out of concrete operational. And in vision logic, we become multi-perspectival. And that is, we start to see perspectives other than our own. As it says here, enters into foreign perspectives, discovering validity zones which can be used to orient it alongside other validity zones or validated viewpoints. And then grasping the metastructure, which seems to operate across or within both systems. And that's probably a lot of words there, but it's seeing the bigger system of time. It's seeing evolution itself, and it's seeing cultural evolution, and it's seeing the unfolding of goodness, truth, and beauty, often by means of their opposites. I mean, this is the suffering world. But, you know, we suffer, fight, and love our way forward through this. This is what we're doing here. So when we get to vision logic, we become friendly to all of those perspectives, all of the earlier perspectives, and see the value in each of them, and become curious rather than condemnatory, and realize, particularly at early stages of integral, a big part of our job is to rehabilitate and reintegrate the earlier stages that have been split off or repressed. Uh, that's how we move forward. We sort of get sick and tired of the stage we're in and we start demonizing and vilifying it and we just don't want anything to do with it. And so we do have to go back and bring forth the energies of all of these, sort of uh, fill out the core of the human. That's, we're doing that right now. And it, it's not pretty in many ways, but when we think about reintegrating red, uh, we, we've talked about that a lot on, on this show. Uh, it's one of the things that we're seeing in, in culture. And we can take some comfort in the apparent fact that once a culture reaches a center of gravity modern, which our culture has, then it becomes radically less violent. And that's true. Uh, even with the violence that we see in any statistical. I was just watching a documentary on um, 
American history. It's actually Oliver Stone's documentary on Netflix called The Untold Story of the United States. And I'm really liking it. I'm only on um, episode two, I think. It's talking about the labor riots in the 40s. And, and it was, that was sort of new to me. I sort of had this idea of labor riots. I wasn't sure when they were. There were hundreds of people killed. And this was in the 40s. This was during World War II. There was more labor unrest and strikes during World War II than at any, any other period in American history. And I really didn't know that. You know, we have this idea that we were all unified for World War II. Yeah, there was a lot of shit happening too. So at any rate, we can appreciate where we are and that we have real violence. We have real victims of violence in this culture war that we're having. But it's statistically far fewer than ever before, radically far fewer than before. And let's hope it stays that way. Short term, I don't know these days. Actually, let me read another letter and it sort of introduces this idea. And um, this is from Karen in Sweden. And uh, she's talking about the post-outrage episode I did with Keith Witt. Uh, I think the subhead was, can we really be friends with our enemies? And he and I developed these ideas that I've been talking about, about, you know, really not only being multi-perspectival, but having the felt sense, you know, the, the deep welcoming and love to other perspectives that get closed off as we develop sometimes. So she says, having listened to your latest podcast, I just needed to make a comment. It will be simply, oh yeah, baby, I hear you. <laughs> she goes on, I've been into Ken Wilber and Integral for over 20 years. What has been missing for me in recent times is the next step politically and in other ways. For me, politics just needs to move on to being the third thing. Somehow coordinating, on one hand, the left, providing the systems to enable possibilities. That's what the left does. And two, the right providing the individual absolute responsibility to take one's own action. So the systems and the individual taking one's own action. Clear as day to me. I felt you were talking about a version of that and I follow both of you regularly. And if this was a different kind of session, great as I see it, I do appreciate that the devil is in the details. Uh, Karen from Sweden. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. And the devil is in the details. And that's one of the things I wanted to share a little bit is that I'm, I realize that I am less, I don't want to say less concerned about the details these days because that's where the devil is. But I'm less sure about them, I'll tell you that. And I'm less sure about the short term in general. Uh, and, and my opinions about who did what and who's to blame for what and what should be done are a lot softer than they used to be. Evidence of that is my, uh, <laughs> sometimes I think it's my weak-mindedness that I believe everybody I talk to these days, or I want to believe them, and I generally do. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to be, I want to be the influenced. I don't want to be the influencer. I guess I am because I do this podcast, an influencer. Uh, but I, in my life, I want to be the influenced. I want to hear what people are saying. And so there's a way in which I'm less 
gripped by the story of the moment. And I'll give you an example. And that is the story of the moment about what Trump said about the soldiers in uh, the cemeteries in World War II and that he didn't want to go because they were losers and that he really didn't write letters to the families. And there's a whole thing that is going on there. It's the story in the Atlantic. So do I believe that, that he said that? I would give that an 8.1 on a 10 scale chance that he said that. I could absolutely hear him saying that he said that essentially about John McCain. Was he so crass? I don't know. Do I take into account that the Atlantic has become a anti-Trump voice in the last year? Really very much so. I mean, they, I think they got new owners and it's a whole new ballgame at the Atlantic. That this is an election year, that this is politically advantageous to the Democrats. Uh, do I put anything by Trump? You know, I just, like a lot of people, I, I don't feel like I have to know the answer to that question. The way I used to feel like I would have to know the answer to that question, or I would assume I knew the answer to that question and I would just move on. That's an example. And there's all kinds of examples all day long. If you listen to the media on the left and the media on the right, I want to hear both. And not only do I want to hear both, but I really want to hear each side critique itself, which you hear more and more. I'm, I'm, you know, I do see uh, some integration happening here and some softening of the contractions that we have around our ideologies. I am seeing that. I was talking to Layman Pascal yesterday, who's long-term integral aficionado he had me on his podcast called The Integral Stage, where he interviews people who are doing integral media, like me. He was talking about Trump. He's Canadian, and you know, so American politics is great entertainment for the Canadians. He made this point. You know, talk about believing the person I'm talking to. I really penetrated, and I really liked what he had to say. And he has sort of a shamanic background. He grew up in the islands off of Vancouver and they've been there five generation. And he has this sort of shamanic sort of expertise and vibe. And he was talking about how Trump is a shaman. He is doing the thing that shamans have traditionally done in tribal societies. And that is they blow people's minds. And that human beings, and I love this, he said, human beings love to have their minds blown. And I never really thought of it that way, but it's so true. It's so true. Individually, I see it in myself, and I do see it in the culture. We just don't want, we, it, the evolutionary flow, the procreant urge is too strong for us to be bored for a second. And, and that we did indeed have, this is that sort of third stage society that I often talk about where society gets this elitism and this crust of custom and this overconnectedness that somebody like Trump comes in and blows away and blows our minds. I don't know exactly what to do with that. It's interesting, you know, to my self-consciously integral mind, I just, I want it to be there. I want it to be in that space because it made sense to me. So short-term, way less sure of myself. Long-term, far more faithful, I would say, in the sense that I do see the evolution of consciousness. I 
do think that developmental theory is the best explanation, so much more explanatory power, as they say, than things like culture, race, class, all of it. They, they of course, all have their place. But this background grinding force of development really tells us so much. And this gets me to a couple of the next questions where people wrote in responding to the last episode I did on woke culture and the, answered the question, what's so good about woke again? And that's the title of the episode. One of the things I talk about, and this is the thing that I'm even more, I don't know, sure of, but faithful to is actually feels like a far more accurate term. And that is movement of development from between the two poles of individual and communal. And of course, these are the upper quadrants and the lower quadrants, upper quadrants being individual, lower quadrants being communal. And that, um, that cultures move, um, oscillate between those two poles. And if we look back at tribal, and, and again, this is that sort of pre-operational stage of childhood development, where you're literally merged with each other. And there's a, you know, sort of liquid space. And that is blown up by the warrior culture that comes out and begins the beginning of the patriarchy and empires and red egocentrism. That's that individual pole. And then we oscillate back a traditional to a more communal pole where we get religious and we see ourselves as subjects of a transcendent God and all the power is invested there. And our job is to be faithful and the body in, the, in Christian terms, the body of Christ, the faithful body of Christ. We don't want tall poppies. We don't want people sticking out. We want everybody to be obedient, faithful, keep their heads down. And then orange modernity frees us to go back out into the larger world this time far more civilized than red, but civilization's the part that traditional brings that we keep, you know, when we, we do include so much as we transcend, we split off and we reject, but we also keep the core functional energies of the previous stages. So now we're civilized and we go into orange where we break out into the larger world. We leave our family, we leave our hamlet, and our old ways of thinking, and we strike out on our own. And that goes for a while, and then that becomes boring, and we feel the need to get back into a communal self. And that moves us into green. And green has a communal quality that, you know, woke is sort of the operationalized quality of it, where people need to see privilege. Uh, people need to see how the system itself has had some people enter the, the game at first base, second base, and third base, and some people don't never get a bat. And that, the, and again, development is far more explanatory than race, in my opinion, because the people who are having the hardest time in a center of gravity modern culture are people who are red. They don't want to fit in to a modern world. That's not what turns them on. And yet, the developmental urge is there to the degree that they're not integrated in a healthy way. They're, they're violent and dangerous and dysfunctional. This is the, the contours of a lot of what we have to deal with as center of gravity modern cultures. We see it in 
you know, red sub subcultures. And we also see it in red countries or cultures that are still at that, they have a center of gravity that is, you know, holy warrior, that sort of red, amber, traditional, that is quite dangerous. So I wanted to play another piece. Okay, this was sent to me by a listener, Travis. And I love when you folks share music and culture and TV shows. Actually, there's another one I would just point out that I forget who sent it to me, but it's Be Foreigners. It's a show from Norway. It is about a sort of a warp in time where there are people who just sort of show up from, there's a whole group of them that are indigenous, a whole group of them that are sort of Viking warrior types, and then a group of them that are sort of the uh, high traditional prim and proper kind of Victorians. And they just show up in modern culture and nobody knows why they sort of rise out of the ocean. And what a postmodern culture does in trying to deal with these people. It's really just a beautiful expression, uh, you know, artistic transmission of what we're doing. I would recommend it. Check it out. I'm only on episode two, so I can't say, maybe I'll do more of a, a proper review of it, but I just wanted to bring that up. So this is from another listener. He sends me this um, music from J. Cole, who is a young rapper. I don't know much about him. But here's what Travis says. He says, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I like this vulnerable rap that J. Cole has been working on with other big names like Kendrick Lamar and Earl Sweatshirt, all of whom also carry a sword in their work. So this vulnerable rap with a sword. And, um, and I, I thought it was absolutely true. And I, I think it's really got a lot of integral sensibilities to it. Uh, before I play it, I just wanted to uh, read another paragraph from Travis. He says, also, I wanted to pipe in about video games. I've been a lifelong gamer, and while I lean towards stuff that's more like chess and role-playing, I do enjoy the occasional thrill of violent games. Not necessarily gore, which I avoid, but more like virtual competition. Fast, action, be here now, or die adrenaline. I do feel it's a safe way to exercise my warrior. And, you know, I make that case all the time that a lot of this red culture, gangster rap, the, the um, what's the sort of the white version of it is heavy metal, violent video games. These are all way of, ways of reintegrating red. That's really good because they're nonviolent and they're juicy. And that's, that's uh, part of the integration of the culture. This guy, I mean, he has, I guess, some of the sort of trappings of that sound, which is, you know, very lower chakra sounds, it's, his message is very integral. I'll read a couple of the lyrics and forgive me, you know, I'm an old white guy reading these lyrics, but I'll do the best I can. Uh, he's, he's talking about a Twitter feed that he saw where he thought maybe he was being criticized, but he wasn't sure. But as he says, when I see something that's valid, I listen. I love that just right there. When I see something valid, I listen. I'm not above criticism. But shit, there's something about the queen tone that's bothering me. And he talks about this woman who's 
criticizing him for not being woke enough, basically, as we'll get to that in a second. And um, so he says, she strikes me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in a conscious environment with parents that knew about the struggle for liberation, and in turn, they provided her with a perspective and awareness of the system and unfairness that afflicts them, and the clearest understanding of what we gotta do to get free. And the frustration that fills her words seemed to come from, from the fact that most people don't see. Just cause you woke and I'm not, that shit ain't no reason to talk that, like you're better than me. And how are you gonna lead, instead of conveying that you're holier, Come help us get up to speed. Uh, and this is the part I wanted to play, where he says, if I could make one more suggestion respectfully, I would say it's more effective to treat people like children. And this is, a, I think, a very sophisticated thought. Here we go. I would say it's more effective to treat people like children, understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow. This change is inevitable, but ain't none of us seen this before. Therefore, we just got to learn everything as we go. I struggle with thoughts on a daily, feel like a slave to somehow to say. And I play more, but I can't uh, upset the Google gods of YouTube by doing that without a permission copyright. But, um, you know, it's, he, he makes one of the points that I try to make here, and it's what I consider to be the scandal of integral is that we see ourselves as coming from a vision logic stage of development and seeing people who um, have you know, various lines of development. And part of the humility of it is we see our own lagging lines of development as well, which God knows I do. And we see that there are people who are operating at the same stage as children. We can't just see that and allow them to be out in the playground with bombs and guns, you know, that if we actually see dysfunctional behaviors, uh, that we need to be parental in a way. And so just to repeat what he said, he said, if I could make one more suggestion respectfully, I would say it's more effective to treat people like children, understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow this change is inevitable, but ain't none of us seen this before. Therefore, we just got to learn everything as we go. I struggle with thoughts on the daily. Isn't that great? I love that. So J. Cole, I'd never heard of him. You know, I'm not going to be your guide to go to for this kind of music, but I love when you send it to me, and particularly when there's a, you know, integral message, and there is here. Okay, the next one... I would read is a, a letter from a listener who basically his point is, is woke really green or is woke really red? And uh, I'll just read what he says. He says, I've been a listener to, your, listener to your podcast for some time and was looking forward to your recent one regarding woke culture. I take no exception to anything you said but heard little to clarify my basic question regarding green in general and the mean green meme in particular. This goes back to my first exposure to integral theory perhaps two decades ago. My issue goes back to the central tenet of integral theory, that each level is to transcend and include key elements of all that preceded. I don't see this with vast areas of green which have only accentuated with the woke culture and its focus on identity politics. 
the intolerance of green has been chronicled to such an extent that I'm tired of listening to it. The intellectual dark web keeps repeating itself. Bottom line for me is that your podcast did an excellent job appreciating the contributions of green, but did little to enlighten me to its excesses and intolerance when evolution should be presumably be doing the reverse. Stated differently, it's always perplexed me that the integral stages should take a leap of tolerance that all other stages lack. This issue spoiled more than one meditation session where a quiet mind was the unachieved goal. <laughs> I love that. This issue spoiled more than one meditation session where a quiet mind was the unachieved goal. And believe me, I've been there. So, um, yeah, well, let me just actually read. I have a couple uh, quick paragraphs here he, he wrote. He said, on that basis, I do not see many individuals now perhaps classified as green really belonging there. The Chicago Black Lives Matter woman you quoted in the podcast as condoning looting because the looters, quote, need it, is a red warrior. Like Trump, I agree with you entirely there. I see these throwing firebombs at police cars and the like in the same way, the red. And, um, and then he goes on, similarly, I see academics promulgating the woke worldview as being at the traditional stage, albeit with a secular rather than religious foundation. And I think that's really uh, very, very good uh, insight. And it calls for a, a more sophisticated understanding of how we move up these stages. And I would go back to one line that he wrote. And he says, it's always perplexed me that the integral stages should take a leap of tolerance that all other stages lack. Well, it does. <laughs> I mean, that's actually the great feature of integral consciousness. There's a real tolerance. Now, you know, green, their mantra is tolerance. We want tolerance. But it, so what they're talking about, of course, is we want tolerance for everybody who agrees with us. So you can be any race, you could be any color, you can be any size, shape, whatever, any culture, as long as you're green, as long as you see the green worldview. Because this is the characteristics, this is a sort of basic theory. And, you know, I'm just, I don't know if it's true. These maps are helpful, but, you know, more maps to come. But at any rate, the first stages, the first six stages of development, one of their characteristics is their monoperspectival. That is, they think that their worldview is the only correct one and that all the other ones are defective in some way and, and not naturally. There's something wrong with them. This is what we were talking about earlier. They're stupid. They're wrong. They're co-opted. They're, you know, brainwashed, whatever, ignorant. And so integral does take a leap of tolerance that all the other stages lack. <clears throat> and in terms of people getting miscategorized as green when they're actually more like a traditional or red, it's, tr it's true. And I may have done that. The distinction that I have to continue to remind myself of is that one of the downsides of green, because green is, you know, their job is to be nice, actually. I mean, if you want to look at it in the best possible terms, after all of human history, you know, of the sufferings and the, and the atrocities of human history, after World War II, which was the sort of culmination of 
atrocities with modern means, you know, trains and logistics and gas chambers and atomic bombs and all of this stuff is that Green said no more of that. We have to bring in the people who have been at the, the victims of these earlier stages, the sinners, the losers, the, the prey of history. And that's a, an amazing, wonderful thing to want and a, a huge achievement of, of human consciousness. And so when your job is to let in all of the people who haven't been heard before, then you open yourself up to being taken over by red because red doesn't care. Red wants to loot. Red wants to even justify looting. I mean, I get that there's an accurate charge of redness to somebody who is justifying looting. And I guess there's uh, some controversy, I haven't followed it completely, but that NPR did a, an interview legitimizing by doing the interview with an author who wrote a book about the, um, in defense of looting. And I haven't gone much further than that. You know, we talk about why people support Trump and what's up with the Trumpsters. Well, some of them are concrete operational. We established that. But some of them are actually formal operational and beyond. Uh, they're just more scared of red. They're actually more scared of mean green. And so they see NPR doing this, especially the people who have moved beyond the left media. And by that, I mean CNN and MSNBC. They're, they're aware of the violence in these cities. I mean, I just talked to a friend in Portland yesterday. He was telling me it still continues. It's worse in some ways. They've been very ineffectual, Ted Wheeler, the mayor, and that a lot of his friends are in on it. He's younger. He moved to Portland because Boulder was insufficiently leftist for him. And that's saying something. And Portland is the epicenter of this mean green thinking that does have a fundamentalist quality to it. You cannot, and this is what he was saying, is that it brooks no dissent at all and is very simplistic in its thinking. And to the degree that it's violent, it's red. You know, we can see this and how green is just defenseless against this because these are their people. They're trying to let them in and they think that they're green too, but they're actually red or they're actually amber blue traditionalists, fundamentalists, and welcome to a contemporary cultural evolution. It's, it's messy. There's a lot of stages of development online at the same time. And this is actually the first time in history. I mean, green as a real stage worldview is only in existence since World War II and really since the 60s. And now there's this new operationalizing of it. And, and you know, in some ways, colonization of it by red and traditionalist that uh, we want to keep in mind. You know, for most of human history, everybody was at the same level of development. This is back in the day when if you had a question, you go to your grandparents. Now we don't do that. You know, the world's left them behind. It's leaving me behind. So, um, yeah, I get it. I, I, I totally agree with you um, in that critique. And I'm trying to sort it out, too. Okay. Well, I, okay, <laughs> I'm going to end with one of the things I like to do is show the artistic expression, the artistic transmission of these stages. 
uh, because sometimes that's a lot more powerful than just talking about them. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a, again, a way too short clip of a song that transmits Green. It's one of the early transmissions of Green, and it's, it's got some sort of orange modernism in it, too. It's a little wee bit hokey, but it's beautiful. The point is not necessarily the message itself, although it is an artistic transmission of Green, but to just share one of my passions, and that is Barbara Streisand at her height, in my opinion. It went on for a while, but this is her at age 24 singing the sort of the key phrase of the last part of her signature song, People. Of course, it's people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And you were half, now you're whole. And it's, you know, just a, a celebration of the liquid space between us, that, that communal pole that is so beautiful. But, you know, what I really want to share is just how her voice is the arising of the eros itself to me. It's never before heard. And this is why she was, at age 24, already a huge international star. This is from Funny Girl, her big movie. You know, you can just hear it blooming like a flower and ringing like a bell. And so this especially goes out to Sadie, Sadie and Maui. And so here it is, and I'll end with this. Uh, and you can feel free to go to YouTube, re replay it a dozen times like I did as I was preparing this. I mean, I just, it's just amazing. So here we go. Barbara Streisand transmitting green with her signature song, People. And I'll end with that. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time in the Daily Evolver. And thank you, as always, for joining me. What a great privilege it is to be with you. A feeling deep in your soul says you See you later, folks.